Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Patriots 4th and 2. The official podcast of PatsFans.com. And we are back on Patriots Fourth and Two, the official podcast of PatsFans.com. I am Russ Goldman. Along with me, as always, is Derek Havens and Steve Balsheri should be joining us shortly. On today's show, we will be previewing the upcoming game for the Patriots against the Cowboys. We'll also be taking a look at the rest of the teams in the AFC East and share our thoughts on our divisional opponents. But before we do anything, I have to welcome my co-host, who's on the line with me right now, to the show. Derek, how you doing? Doing good, Russ. Uh, coming off the bye week strong and uh, ready to head into Dallas for what would have been an interesting game. <laughs> but still should be kind of fun to see, uh, see uh, an opponent that Patriots don't see too often and I know we're all going to be looking ahead just slightly at the schedule for the following week as well. <laughs> Next week is going to be fun, Derek. I look forward to that. But, but again, I'm not taking the Dallas Cowboys lightly. They still have a very good offensive line. It's still on the road, but we'll be talking about that shortly. And like I mentioned, we'll be going through the AFC East, the other teams in, in the division. But it also got me to think about something that I wanted to just ask you about because uh, I have very – very opinionated views on this subject. I want to get your thoughts on it while we wait for Steve. Maybe I'll give Steve a chance to uh, to jump on when when he can. Uh, what are your thoughts about all these games in uh, in England at at Wembley Stadium? There, you know, again, what, what's interesting is that in a few years there are going to be more games. Uh, well, I shouldn't say more games, but there will also be games not just at Wembley Stadium, but also at the new White Hart Lane Stadium that uh, Tottenham Hotspur are, are uh, building because the NFL made an agreement with them as well. So I'm curious how you feel about these games in England. Do you like them? Do you not like them? What are your thoughts? I, I like the games in London. I, I think it's, uh, you, know, you know, and they've talked about doing it at different places too, you know, Germany or Mexico or wherever. You know, however, that, however those chips fall, you know, that's not in my hands. But I, I do think it's cool to play a couple of games um, you know, in international, you know, internationally. I don't, however, uh, want to see a team in London or, or really, you know, really anywhere else uh, internationally. I, I think that it just creates way too many problems. And, uh, you know, obviously the NFL has grown, uh, you know, pretty big, especially in a place like London. And I know we have a lot of, you know, uh, you know, like our UK Pats fans, some of the best Huge. fans we have. I mean, they're, they're incredible. Huge. We interact all the time. 
Um, you know, I, I really, this, and that's really not a shot at them at all, you know, and I know uh, one of your favorite people, Michael Felger, has talked about, you know, has talked about <laughs> it a lot, a little bit. You know, he's talking about having a, an ETL team, uh, you know, a European Premier League team, soccer team yeah. in the U.S. And I also think that's stupid, too. So, it's, <laughs> it's you know, it's it's the National Football League, you know, I, I it's not the International Football League. Uh, and, I, and I like I said, I don't want to come off, um, you know, I don't want to come off smug or dismissive or anything like that. I just think it, you know, without getting into too much detail, it would just be too much of a headache. And I just don't see it as uh, a, a possibility that really helps grow the league in any way. I actually think it hurts it. Well, very interesting take there, Derek. And Steve's with us. We're going to bring him on in just a second. But before we do, I just want to share my thoughts a little bit about this because I've changed my tune on this. Uh, initially, I thought it would be a great idea to have a team over there. I, I actually don't think it's a good idea anymore. But what I do think is a good idea is expanding the international series uh, because uh, the interest is really there. It's funny because they have they have three games over there. Wembley Stadium holds anywhere between eighty and 90,000, and that place was packed. And and my Facebook timeline was full of Patriots fans. Yes, Patriots fans at Wembley Stadium. So the uh, the UK Patriots fans uh, has to be, if not the biggest, one of the biggest fan bases uh, in the UK, and I would say all of Europe. Uh, it, it's huge. And, uh, you know, for me, I would love to go back there, watch another Patriots game over there. But I think it's great. I, I like the fact that, that you have these games, Derek, starting at 9.30 in the morning. I, I think it just expands – the uh, potential of watching more games. You know, I, I love the fact that that uh, that the game started so early over there. I thought it was great. But, um, but again, th- those are just my thoughts about that. Let me bring on our co-host. Steve's on the line. Steve, how you doing, my friend? All right, guys. Sorry I'm, uh, I was running just a tad late this morning, but uh, I was listening to the last two minutes of the conversation there. And, you know, I agree with you guys. I, I like the games in London. I, I like watching them there. And Sunday was awesome because by uh, 11.30 uh, Sunday night, I was footballed out. I mean, that, you know, it had gone nonstop from 9.30 in the morning to yeah. 11.30 at night. I, I was cross-eyed from watching football all day. But, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that the games are so popular over there. But, yeah, I don't really want to see a team there just – from a st- uh, statistical, uh, not statistical, from uh, logistical uh, standpoint. Logistical standpoint. Yeah, that was the word I was looking for. It, it's <laughs> just too tough on teams that have to travel. And then, you know, what happens if a team like Seattle has to go over there? It, yeah. you, know, you know, during a regular week, uh, if if they have an away game, I mean, that's a long travel time for them. Or on the flip side, the team from London has to travel to Seattle. Or San Francisco. I mean, that's a long that's a long trip. Sure. So I'm not. You know, if they want to put an international team, you know, um, the game is really popular in Mexico, and they've played a bunch of games in Mexico City. Uh, that's not as far. I mean, like the teams in Houston and, and Dallas. I mean, that's a you know hop, skip, and a jump for them to fly down there. I, I could possibly see that, but London or another city in Europe, boy, that's Logistically, that's just really tough. Yeah, to and if they want to play these games, you know, like we were talking about in other and uh, you know other countries, and they've talked about expanding it. I know that's a topic of conversation at the owners' meeting in New York, uh, and I, I, I'm all for that again because I think you can get 
you can do what they've been doing. You know, if you play in London, you you have buy you have a buy the next week, and I think they can work that schedule out to the point where um, you know everybody get, is relatively happy with it, and you can you can still draw interest, uh, you know, to to your product without watering it down. And I think we've seen a lot of watered down football so far this year, and I think it it, only, it would only make it worse by trying to expand and put a team over there like. He was saying it just makes it too hard logistically. With there are so many other factors that go into it. It just, um, you know, I think it's a good conversation. Again, um, you know, and I, and I and I know that when you watch those games in London, you can tell that you know there are fans of all 32 teams there. They're Every team that they can watch this. Yeah, they can watch. Every team they can watch this uh, yeah. product. Um, it's not just the two teams that are playing. They have the jerseys from all. They're it's they're fans of the game, and they want to see they want to see the game live, no matter what team it is. And I and I think it's cool. Again, I, no disrespect to them. Um, that's just uh, it's just not something that I think would be good for the league. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm not so sure the uh, Felger uh, EPL and NFL swap would be uh, so, so good. No, listen, I totally agree with you on that, Derek. And uh, before we move on, I'm just going to share quick thoughts on everything that you guys have talked about. You know. All 32 teams are represented. They sell these uh, games out in very quick time. You know, again, and uh, a little shout-out to several Patriots fans that were there. Again, they were all over my timeline. Just just, uh, just want to mention Jordan Barker, Gemma Workman, Sarah Greaves, who went to her first game, our friend Jamie McRae. They were all at this game. And, and fan bases from all over Europe, you know, who represent all 32 teams, they're all there. So it's not just Jets and Dolphins. It's all teams. And that's what's kind of cool about it, and and it just keeps growing and growing. And uh, I just, you know, I'm I'm with the two of you. I actually want the games over there. I just don't think that there should be a team because everyone has their own teams at this point, and I don't think that's going to change. So I think that they should just keep the series the way it is, or expand it, like I mentioned, and we'll we'll see it grow. But but, but the fan base there is is pretty ravenous. That's all I just wanted to mention. And, Steve, before we go any further, I, I, I want to give you a shout-out to Patriot Central Radio. Congratulations on your 100th episode. You, Murph, and Brian, you do a fantastic job. I, I no longer do the show with you, but, but again, a testament to all of what you guys do, 100 episodes, you should be very proud. Well, it was fun. Uh, last night we had, we had a slew of guests. We had uh, Matt Chatham, uh, Ryan Hannibal from EEI, uh, Michael Whitmer from the Globe, Karen Garigian from the Herald, <laughs> uh, Freddie Smurlis, uh Now he's, I think he, Fred's back with WEI now for that post-game yeah. show he does with uh, Glenn Ordway. And then we had uh, Mac Engel from uh, the Fort Worth Star. We were talking about the Cowboys last night. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we uh, last night we kind of rehashed things over and over with all our, our different guests. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it's it's strange. It seems like uh, we just started doing that, and it's been a hundred episodes. I don't even know how many we've done here. Uh, do, do you have a, a running count? Uh, you know, it's funny. I I meant to go check before we started the show. So by the time we do our next show, I will give you a running count of how many shows. But but we've been doing this is our fifth year. So so we're, yeah, we're way over that. We're probably yeah. way over two hundred. So. Uh, which is incredible to think about. You know, again, it's a testament to the three of us, and also Damian Jarrett, who initially started with us. You know, you know, we should be proud of what we built here as well. 
And uh, because I was thinking about that, and um, the time we do our next show, Steve, I'll, I'll have that number for you. Yeah, because, you know, uh, you know, I know we've been doing this for a long time, and uh, I, uh, last night I was like, wow, it seemed like we just started doing that that particular podcast, <laughs> and it was like a hundred episodes, and that was what I was thinking of last night. I was like, I wonder how many our fourth and two show has because uh, yeah, we've been doing it a lot longer. We have, and that's why I'm pretty sure we're way over 200, but I will give you an exact count the next time. Uh, Derek, do you, do you have something you wanted to say? Well, I was going to say, I was going to segue into our next topic and say, you know who should not be proud of what they built? Miami. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> well, Derek, I will give you the floor because I want to talk about the AFC East, and let's start right there. Let's start with the Miami Dolphins. Where where do we start with the Miami Dolphins? I guess they, you know, well, we could start with they just fired Joe Philbin, which is definitely the right move for them. I mean, it's unfortunate. I was hoping they were going to hang on to them for, uh, you know, for the rest of the season and would just make those games that much easier. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Miami is certainly, uh, you know, struggling right now. They look like a, a team with, it's funny, everyone's kind of dissect which positions are struggling. I think the whole team just lacks fire. It just doesn't look like it's, early fights at all. There's no there's no energy. You know, you'd think a lot of people thought coming into the season that they would be able to, um, you know, ha- have a pretty solid defense and Ryan Tannehill was going to step up and I was certainly in, I was certainly in that boat. Um, you know, I thought, I thought Tannehill was going to have a big year and, and I, I just think the offense looks out of sync and specifically the defense, including the front seven, which they invested a lot of money in and Dominic and Sue, it just has not paid dividends so far. Uh, they just need, they certainly just needed a, they need a culture change. They need a, uh, just a change in direction altogether. And, uh, you know, that the whole area is a mess right now. Listen, Derek, it's actually quite shocking. I, I really believe going into the season that the Dolphins would be decent and would be contending with the Patriots. I, I, you know, I thought that they were, they would be decent. I actually thought the Bills were the biggest threat, but I thought right at, right behind that, it was going to be the Miami Dolphins, and uh, they've been probably one of the biggest disappointments in the league. And uh, that team is in complete disarray. Obviously, like you mentioned, they they, they fired the head coach, but but they're more problems than just uh, Philbin. Steve, what are your thoughts about what's going on with the Dolphins? Are you surprised by this? Oh yeah, uh, because before the season started, I I picked them to win ten games and make the playoffs. And, uh, I, I don't see either one of those things happening now. I, I you know, um, I, I don't particularly care for their new hire. I, I think that was just a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, you know, if you were going to – I mean, it had to have been in their mind that their coach is on the hot seat. And, you know, the, the best you can come up with is this guy. Um, nothing against him. Uh, I heard he's a you know he's a good coach, but is that what you really need? And uh, you know uh, I I thought that was another uh, dumb move by Tannenbaum. I mean you know this all stems uh, they invested over a hundred million dollars with sixty eight million dollars guaranteed in the Domicon Sioux. And I think yeah. I speak for the three of us. We all thought that that was a huge mistake. Is giving that guy money, and he's been a complete bust up to the quarter point of this season. I mean, I was watching him, and I've been hearing, oh, he's double teamed, he's triple teamed. The Jets weren't double teaming him. They were putting one guy on him down on the goal line, 
and they blew him three yards off the ball on, uh, was it Powell's first touchdown? The first, yep. I think it was Powell's. They blew him three yards off the ball with one guy. He wasn't double teamed. And then later on, the Jets had a second and short or a second and uh, – there was a second down. I'm, I'm not sure the yardage was. Paul came up the middle. Sue came across uh, laterally. He had him for no gain or a one-yard gain at best. And he just arm-tackled him. He just kind of olayed it. Paul just shoved him off like he was a flea, like he was like a cornerback. And then he ran for 17 yards, and I was like, boy, that's what you paid $117 million for? This guy has been a total bust. And, you know, we, we already heard, like, back in week one that he was freelancing. He, you know, he was taking plays off. He was doing what he wanted. Uh, and I, I don't see that getting any better. And if you saw the press conference after the game with Sue, you know, he he's just uh, – Caveat emptor, you know. Buy everywhere. <laughs> Steve, I completely agree with you. And what's interesting, I can't remember what network I saw it on, but I saw a good amount of excuse making uh, about the about the play of Andromache um, and Sue, blaming it on the coaching staff, blaming it on not allowing him to do what he does. And uh, I just think it's it, it's funny. It's it's the player's responsibility to uh, to give 110 percent. And what I've seen. What I've witnessed, what I've watched him, I don't think he's given 110%. Stop, stop making excuses for the guy. He's been a bust so far. And uh, the move that they made was a horrible move. You know, you put all your eggs in, in the Sioux basket, and now it's, uh, it's going to cause issues for the Miami Dolphins for years to come. I, I truly believe that. You know, it's funny. I'm not, I'm not ready yet to put him in the Albert Hainsworth category yet, but he's trending no. that way. He's a better player, <laughs> yeah. but, but he yeah, is well, definitely I mean, trending that way. You 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 go back to Alan Hainsworth, and that was a guy that when he had his head on straight, prior to him getting paid, you know he was a dominant defensive lineman, and he there's a lot of similarities because he was dirty, just like uh, Sue is, and uh, he he was a dirty player, he was a dominant player, he was a surly guy, and then you know but uh, you know when he had his head on straight, he was really really good. And then he got paid, and that was the last anyone ever heard from him because he stopped being that dominant guy. He was very content to count his money and do whatever he felt like doing, and that got him run out of Washington, and then it got him run out of here. Absolutely, absolutely. Derek, over to you. What are your thoughts about about the Sioux situation in Miami? Well, I think it's a disaster. I think it's what almost every NFL owner fears when they're, when they're getting ready to write that big check. I mean, it's a little early to see uh, to write him off. I do think he's talented. I'm not. I, I I'm not going to say say that he is um, incapable of, of turning things around. I think it's for Sue. It's always been about being able to harness and control uh, that tremendous talent. Now, uh, earlier in the season, you know, he was getting double and triple teamed early, and I and I thought that it really fell on uh, Olivier Vernon and Cameron Wake to create some pressure off the side, which they weren't doing. Uh, like Steve said, it wasn't the case, uh, you know, last week. Um, you know, you can see that there are other players really not contributing the way they need to be. And I I don't want to say I give them a pass because I don't, but I do give some of the players on there a little bit of a pass for 
uh, the whole Joe Philbin situation. I want to see how they play. Uh, I want to see how they play for their interim coach. I want to see how, or I want to see what how they finish the season and and where they're at. It, you know, are, are they just a total mess, or did they just not respond to Philbin? You know, we're going to find out here pretty quickly. Um, you know, it, there's going to be a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of changes probably coming in Miami, and it's funny. Uh, you know, it, the AFC East continues to be just this. Uh, I just <laughs> these three teams are just circling the drain, while the Patriots are pretty much at the top of the pedestal for the past 15 years in the NFL, mm-hmm. and and it just seems like they can't get out of their own way. It's it's incredible. It is, uh, Derek, and, and listen, it's funny because if you really just just put it down to to the basics, you know, again we talk about this all the time. It's a quarterback-driven league. I think that's too simplistic. It's also a coaching-driven league. So if you put – and an ownership, if you have all three in place, you can, have a, you can have a very good team. The Patriots have that. The Dolphins do not have that. And I put part of the blame on the ownership, part of the blame on the head coach because it really was a rudderless ship. We'll see how they do from there on. And uh, I think Tannehill is okay, but uh, is, he real, is he truly an elite quarterback? No. But he's a decent quarterback. But, but again, you don't have the, those other two parts of that triumvirate that I think you need in the NFL. You need all three pieces. And, and thankfully, the Patriots right now have all three pieces. Derek, I want to go right back to you. I want to start with you on the Jets because I have to tell you, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm not happy about it, but I'm surprised by how the Jets are playing. I have to give them credit. And the reason why I'm going to you first is because I want to get your thoughts on the Jets, but more specifically on Todd Bowles. Yeah, absolutely. I, I lo- look. I love. I love the Todd Bowl signing when it happened. Um, I, you know, obviously you don't know how a defensive coordinator is going to respond to the coach. You know, I, I, uh, or any coordinator for that matter. I, I think uh, Bowles has done a really good job. He's keeping that team. Um, you know, he's giving that team. I guess really, um, you know, a culture change. I mean, we just talked about how Miami needed one. You know, they got it. You know, they needed one after Rex left. And, look, they're a better team with Rex Bryan gone. I think it's funny. It's, it's like you took – it's like you've taken a situation with New York and just brought it up to, you know, up to you in Buffalo uh, if, if you're Rex Ryan in the build. And, look, I think Rex Ryan's a good coach. I think, you know, I think his players love him and he can get people fired up. But you're seeing him make some of the same mistakes I didn't think he would do the second time around again. Uh, and we'll get to that in a second. But as far as the New York Jets go, you know, they're playing really well. Defensively, I think their defense uh, is – you could make the argument that it's better, but it's certainly different. And they have they, they have the horses on defense to really compete with almost any offense, if not any offense in the NFL, including a great D-line, a, a very solid secondary. Um, and, uh, you know, offensively, uh, this is where I think Bowles um, has – let the offensive coordinator kind of have a little bit more harness compared to what, you know, the older team and Rex Ryan, uh, you know, they're letting Ryan Fitzpatrick throw the ball and they're not afraid to, uh, you know, they're not afraid to go ahead and take their shots downfield a little bit. Um, and I think with some of the, some of the weapons they have on offense, including Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker and Chris, uh, Chris Ivory, you know, they have something going down there. Um, you know, I, I like, uh, I, I think I like the direction that they're going. It's just going to be whether it's going to be uh, enough at the end of the day. Now, I do think they can give the Patriots a problem uh, in the games that they play, but I don't necessarily think they have quite the talent just yet to compete for a playoff spot. But with a defense like that, it, it comes down to whether the offense can be 
um, efficient enough and score enough points. I mean, that's really what's going to come down to. And that falls on, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he's kind of a fringe starting quarterback, uh, but he's played well so far this year. And I think both has them going in the right direction. I agree with everything that you just said there, Derek, especially uh, Todd Bowles. I, I think Todd Bowles is uh, a good hiring for the New York Jets. Uh, I guess you could say a completely different type of head coach from Rex Ryan. You've, you've gone to the other end where, where he's more mild-mannered. He's more, more you know, again, he, he lets the action speak on the field, which is great. And uh, I, I like the way that he's presenting his team, and his team are playing very hard for him defensively. But I agree with you. I think it'll come down to the play of the quarterback. Then, of course, you have Geno Smith coming back as well. But but Ryan Fitzpatrick, if he can contain himself and keep himself under control, and and uh, and not be the total gunslinger that he has in the past, Eric, they can win games. It, it'll just come down to playing efficiently. If he can keep that under control, the Jets will be in their games because that defense is legit. There's no question about that. Steve, over to you. I want to get your thoughts about what's going on with the Jets. Yeah, the Jets have been playing very well. I mean, other than that game against the the Eagles, they've they've played very well in all of their games. And, you know, their defense is going to keep them in uh, of these games. But, you know, I I kept watching. (laughs) I'm going back to the Miami again. I'm harping on Miami. But, you know, it was like uh, at first I was like, Todd Bowles is doing the same thing over and over. But then I was like, well, Miami isn't doing anything to stop it because they kept blitzing supposed to screen off <laughs> off the edge. And I was like, how many times in a row are they going to blitz him before Miami decides to block him? And I was like, if I'm Todd Bowles, I keep doing it because obviously exactly. they're not smart enough to do it. So they just keep letting him blitz free with no one touching him. And I, I was I was laughing when I'm watching the game because I'm like, well, if I'm Todd Bowles, I'm, I'm scratching my head like, why are they doing this? Well, who cares? Let's just keep doing it because they're letting them come free. But I think their defense is going to keep them in a lot of – they'll be in probably every one of their games this year. I just don't think, uh, like you, Derek said, uh, they're not a playoff team, not with Fitzy as quarterback. I, even that game against Miami, which they pretty much dominated, he got away with a couple of throws there that probably should have been picks. And – uh you know, he's he's got that same mentality, you know. It's like he gets a little bit of success and then he gets greedy and he tries to do things he shouldn't. And I think that's going to hurt them once they get in, into some really tight games. But uh, they're definitely a team that's turned it around. Uh, you know, we picked them to finish last in the division. And the way things are shaking out now, I think they're a threat to finish second. So... No, Steve, listen, I totally agree with you on, on the Jets. And, uh, again, I'm not a fan of the Jets, but uh, I actually, like I said, I, I, I have respect for this head coach. I think he has them going the right direction, like Derek said. You know, again, different style, but, but his team is playing for them. They're only going to get better. That that defense is really good. And uh, if they could uh, have a complimentary offense, they're going to be in many games. And, and they will give the Patriots uh, two, good, two good games. There's no question about it. And they might win one. Who knows? Because uh, that, that's a talented team defensively, and they do have a few pieces offensively, but uh, but it'll come down to the uh, play of the quarterback, I think, and I think that's going to be the difference there. All right, Steve, I'm going to go right back to you. Let's now talk about the Bills. And um, what's interesting about the Bills, I, I, I was thinking about this before we were doing the show. 
Uh, I've been watching football for over 40 years. You, you've been watching it for longer than that. And I'm sure that there are teams that have been pretty stupid. I think this is the most stupid football team I've ever seen, uh, hands down. Uh, I've never seen a team that plays more stupid than the Buffalo Bills. Stupid penalties, stupid play all over the field. This is a stupid football team. And uh, I put that all on the head coach because a team takes on the personality of your head coach. Uh, this is a team that is very talented. I- I'm going to tell you right now, the Buffalo Bills are talented on both sides of the ball. But they don't have a quarterback, and they have uh, a head coach that is letting the lunatics run the asylum. They're not going anywhere. They're going to be a 500 team. I- I'm convinced of it. What are your thoughts on the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, uh, you know, through the quarter mark of the season, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think they are a very dumb football team. You know, Rex got them all fired up with this, uh, this quote-unquote, you know, bully mentality, and the players all bought into it, and they're just out of control. And we saw that, you know, against the Patriots a couple of weeks ago. And then we saw it again, even more so against the Giants, where, you know, they had 17 penalties. And then the Giants actually turned down somebody, and there was other place where they had more than one penalty on, you know, the same snap, so they only could, you know, accept one of them. I mean, this was a really dumb performance by them. And, you know, again, like you said, it falls back on the head coach. When you have a guy, Preston Brown, that's out of control on the field and he gets a personal foul penalty that was ridiculously uncalled for, you you know, with Bill Belichick, he'd have pulled him right off the field. Instead, Rex leaves him on there, and then he gets another one on the next play. And, you know, he just leaves him in there. And then when you see Ryan's comments after the game, he's not lamenting the fact that his team's playing out of control. He, he's, you know, he, he's embracing this. And, uh, yeah. you know, he's telling her, well, I, I, I love the fight in this team. Well, there's a difference between fight and there's a difference between stupid. And they crossed that line. They crossed it against New England. They crossed it again against the Giants. That was a game that, you know, the Giants have been a, a team that starts off well, and we saw that on Sunday. And then they've had some trouble in the fourth quarter closing games out. They were running into that same problem. And if the Bills had played smarter, they might have pulled that game out at home. Instead, they gave it away, and they just played right into, into the Giants' hands. In fact, Tom Coughlin – I was reading some of the Giants uh, beat writers after the game, and they said that Coughlin's message to his team last week before the game was, keep your head about you. The Bills are going to give it away with undisciplined play. And he was exactly right. And that's exactly what they did. It was a close game. It could have went either way in the fourth quarter, and then the Bills gave it away with stupid, stupid play. There was no reason for it. No, listen, Steve, I completely agree with you. And, and what's interesting about the Bills, uh, I just watched a 60-minute sports on Showtime about the Pagulas, and uh, I want to give a huge amount of credit to Terry and Kim Pagula for taking over the Buffalo Bills because, again, uh, I think they're going to be very good owners moving forward, but they're going to learn from their mistakes. They're going to learn that the hiring of Rex Ryan was a mistake and then their next hiring hopefully will be a better one because I think they're going to be very good owners. They, they are driven to bring, to, to bring the Bills a very good team, and I think they're going to do it over time. I, I, I think for a first hiring, 
they made a mistake, and I think I, I think they'll learn from it moving forward. But but again, this is this is a team out of control, and and that's what's shocking about it because they do have a good amount of talent, as I said. Derek, what are your thoughts about the Bills so far? Well, I think everything you had said is pretty much dead on. I mean, at this point, the Bills have committed 47 uh, you know, penalties that have been accepted through four games. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, that would just shatter everything. Um, you know, I mean, they're on pace to shatter just the record for the most penalties. I mean, they, they're playing totally recklessly. Uh, you know, Rex was going on a big rant the other day about how he wants a team to fight and, uh, you know, that they're going to figure out the penalties. Uh, I just don't – I don't think they are. I really don't. I mean, this is a problem from a, a whole different team. Uh, and now it's uh, – you know, you're looking at a new situation, uh, new players. You got them to play aggressively, but you can't seem to control their aggression. You can't seem to uh, – you know, he might have – I guess for lack of a better word, he might have left the dogs off the leash, but he can't seem to get them back on it. And exactly. uh, I, I, and I, I think he's um, look. He, I think he's a hell of a motivator, and I really think he's uh, you know he's got that defense playing well. And they have um, you know they, they've uh, when they secured Tyrod Taylor, there were some uh, you know there were a lot of people who were skeptical of it. Um, I really liked Taylor coming out of college, but you know he never really got an opportunity. And uh, he's playing much better than even I expected. I, I mean he, he's gotten that situation figured out. It's just going to be about whether they can clean it up. And everything that he's shown so far tells us he won't be able to. And that will ultimately end his time in Buffalo because I don't think anyone has that faith. And, you know, ultimately, if if he was if, – if the team was still able to play aggressively, if they were to cut the penalties down um, to, uh, you know, at least a reasonable number, uh, you know, I think that you could say, okay, a little bit more talent, and they could actually start to challenge for a playoff spot. I, I do believe that, but uh, I just don't see that happening right now. And, look, it's okay if you're a penalized team if you do it in a smart way. You know, you look at the past two Super Bowl champions and the Seattle Seahawks and the New England Patriots from last season, they were the most penal, uh, penalized team in the league, but it was how they were? did it. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a, um, you know, you might have gotten an unnecessary roughness or, a um, you know, a holding call because you were either trying to, you know, you are trying to enforce – um, your will as a defensive player over an opponent over the middle, or maybe you were Brandon Browner and you were getting a little physical past the five-yard window, but they're not going to call it every play, so it's worth it if you, uh, if you can get away with it 70 or 80 or 90% of the time. But that's not the kind of penalties that are getting committed in Buffalo, and ultimately I do think it's going to come back and bite Rex in the ass like it did you know, in the last team he was with. Listen, I completely agree with that, Derek, and uh... One other thing I want to throw in there. Uh, if they want to have a successful season, stop worrying about the New England Patriots because, again, Rex's obsession with the Patriots shows up each and every week. It's crazy. You know, Rex needs to concentrate on the next opponent instead of the New England Patriots. You can tell that it's always on his mind. And uh, if he wants to beat the Patriots, he should take on the Patriots mentality, and that's and that's one game at a time. But he doesn't do that. And, uh, you, know, th- you know, again, his – that team's downfall. I'm going to put straight on his shoulders because well, I think this is a recognizes... team that, again, I think going into the season should be a should be a ten win team. Honestly, should should be should possibly make the playoffs, and uh, I just don't see it right now. And and I put a lot of that on the head coach. I think All right, guys, enough talking the about Patriots the rest of the AFCs. Are... Let... <laughs> I'm sorry, Derek. Did you want to share something? 
I was just going to say, I, before we move on, because we, we should get going on the preview, but I, I was just going to say, I think he recognizes that the Patriots are, um, you know, the crew of the crop. And they, look, they've been in his way as, you know, since he's been a head coach. And, yeah, I do think it's funny that he still brings them up, and, you know, he'll still bring the Patriots up every now and again when he's not focusing on that week. But at the same time, uh, I think he recognizes that, you know, in order to be the best, you have to beat the best. And it just so happens that that's been kind of his, um, you know, that's been his big bugaboo since he's been a head coach. He just can't seem to get over that hump. And I think that's why he probably treats those games like a Super Bowl, you know, like like it was in week two. And that's why he was kind of in his, in his feelings a couple weeks later. But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that team, how he attempts to fix that team. Uh, I'm not sure if he's if he's capable of doing it, honestly, but we're going to find out. You know, we're only one quarter of the season in. Yeah, absolutely, Derek. We will find out what ha- what happens with all three of these teams, and of course the Patriots as well. But like you mentioned, I I, I definitely want to now move over and talk about this uh, game against the uh, Dallas Cowboys. And uh, Steve, I'm going to start with you. Did you share with me your overall thoughts on this upcoming game? You're going to it, so what do you make of this game? Uh, is it AT&T Stadium now? I forget the name of uh, the Cowboys Stadium now. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, it's funny because when we were looking at this on the schedule, you know, we were wondering if Tom Brady was going to be able to play or how the, you know, (laughs) the Patriots would uh, be able to counter with Jimmy Garoppolo and that, you know, Dallas offense. And now it shows how fickle the NFL can be from week to week. And now Tom Brady is not only going to play, he's been playing really well through the first, you know, three games of the season. And now Tony Romo's hurt, Des Bryant's hurt, Lance Dunbar's hurt. You know, the Cowboys are banged up all over the field. And now it's them who's wondering how they're going to keep up with New England. No, very good point, Steve. I want to ask you this because, because again, I, I've heard some talk the last couple of days about the return of uh, Greg Hardy. What, what do you think he's going to mean to that team? Do you think this is a this is a good thing for the Cowboys, or the way that they are right now, could it be a detriment to them having him back in the in, well, I shouldn't say back in the mix, in the mix now? No, I think it's going to be a great thing for them because uh, okay, their pass rush until Sunday in New Orleans hasn't been very very effective. And we all know that whatever Hardy is, he's very effective as a pass rusher. I think only J.J. Watt has had more sacks in the last couple of seasons. You know, that being said, I mean, Hardy brings a lot to the table. He's he's really good at what he does when he's on the field. I think he's going to really help Dallas. And they also get Rolando McClain back. You know, uh, he's been suspended as well. And he's a really good linebacker. Nick Saban talked about him as the smartest player he's ever had down in Alabama on their defense. So, uh, you know, he's a really good athletic linebacker. Having these two guys back this week is is huge for them. And uh, we heard uh, last night from one of the Cowboys beat writers that they fully expect Sean Lee to play as well. He's passing all his concussion protocols or whatever. So, uh, you know, that that's going to help their defense a great deal. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, to get back to your question, having Hardy on the field will definitely help. And he's, you know, on a one-year contract, so he's motivated to produce. Okay, very good. Derek, over to you. What are your thoughts about the Cowboys going into this game? Well, obviously, 
uh, I agree with what Steve said about how this game should have been more extreme than it probably will turn out to be. Uh, you know, it's tough to overcome the two losses um, that, that they're kind of having to deal with right now. You deal with your, your two best players, um, probably on the team, but at least uh, two of the best players, on, on at least on offense. So um, you have uh, obviously a very good offensive line, uh, the ability to um, run the ball. Uh, I think Joseph Randall has stepped up and um, kind of become – the lead guy, Lance Dunbar, went down last week with a knee injury. So you kind of have a one-two punch with Randall and Darren McFadden. Um, you know, that offensive line definitely controls things. And Brandon Whedon has stepped up, and I don't think he's looked terrible. Uh, I think he's I think he's been okay. Um, you know, obviously the Cowboys have been competitive the past two weeks, but haven't gotten it done. They've, they've held leads, um, you know, in, in both games. It's just about about the ability to finish. And I think a lot of those woes come to the defensive side where, you know, they're thin in the secondary. Um, you know, they are getting Rolando McClain back. They are getting Greg Hardy back in that front seven. Um, as Hardy put it yesterday, he's going to come out guns a-blazing. <laughs> I thought that was a fun choice of words for him. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, look, I, I do think that uh, they have some talent. Again, it's just about, um, you know, kind of putting it all together. We'll see if they can match up. Uh, I honestly thought that they kind of threw their hat into the contender's ring towards the end of last season. I thought their fight in the playoffs was solid. Um, And I actually was pretty impressed with Jason Garrett and Tony Romo last year. But if they're going to have a chance at winning the season, they're going to have to start by uh, carrying the, you know, kind of, Staying in, that, staying in that division won't be that difficult because I think that NFC East is, is, is very bad. But they're going to have to at least win a couple of games because they haven't found a way to do that. Um, and it's going to be a tough task this week with the Patriots coming into town. Okay, very good. And, uh, Derek, I'm going to start with you as we break down this game, the Patriots' defense versus the Cowboys' offense in the running game. Who has the advantage? And like you mentioned, they do have some good running backs and they have a very good offensive line. But who do you give the edge to? Well, I give the edge to the Cowboys, and I think that they ha- this is one of the ways that they can really win this game. If if Dallas is going to win the game, they're going to run the ball, they're going to control the line of scrimmage, they're going to control the time of possession, keep Brady off the field, and they're going to be able to finish drives with touchdowns. Uh, you know, that's the way that they're going to have to win this game. Um, and, and look, the Patriots' defense, I think the numbers have been misleading in the running game. I think they've been very mediocre when it comes to the rush defense. I want to say they're, they have a lot of well over four yards to carry. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, we've seen Gerard Mayo, someone we talked about a lot on the last show, uh, kind of get almost a pitch count or a, a limited snap count. And I'm wondering really if it's because of health, if it's because of game plan, if it's because just flat out high power and Collins are better. Well, this should be a Gerard Mayo game. Uh, you know, he is he's a very solid, you know, uh, uh, player in the middle of that defense when it comes to the run, Donta Hightower as well. I really would like to see, um, you know, I really would like to see uh, if he was going to get an opportunity to um, to play in this game or if maybe maybe we'll get our answer after this week. I don't know. But I think the Patriots for us are going to try to load the box this week and really put the pressure on Brandon Whedon. But uh, I, I, nevertheless, I still think the Cowboys offensive line is, is tremendous and they have the edge in this one. Okay, very good. Steve, over to you. And what's interesting before I, I, I get your answer on this is uh, Derek brought up a good point 
about Gerard Mayo. And uh, again, I, I was listening to your show when you had on Matt Chatham. He was talking about how the Patriots have more often than not been in either nickel or dime, and that's limited his snaps. Do you see Gerard Mayo playing a good amount in this game? And also, who do you give the edge to in the running game with the uh, with the Cowboys offense and the Patriots defense? Yeah, I like the Cowboys offense in this matchup. Uh, you know, they were a very dominant offensive line last year with uh, DeMarco Murray. You know, he led the league in rushing, and they, they had Tony Romo and Des Bryant. Well, now that those guys are out, if you've watched the film of their, you know, past couple of games since Romo went down, teams are loading up the box. Atlanta did it. They were bringing eight guys up into the box. They were daring them to try to throw deep. And uh, that, you know, it's it's just that extra hat that makes it difficult for your offensive line to, to block everybody. So, you know, their running game hasn't been as impressive as everyone thought it was going to be. And I, I think that's just a, you know, indication that, you know, they're missing Romo because teams aren't, they're not respecting the pass with Brandon Whedon. And I, I don't know what Bill Belichick's uh, game plan is going to be, but, you know, this offensive line is pretty good. They do have some uh, decent running backs with Randall, uh, Darren McFadden. And, you know, one of the guys that was supposed to be the X factor for them was Christian Michael. And uh, last week he only carried the ball one time, which I found pretty uh, interesting. I thought he would have got a lot more snaps against uh, New Orleans. But, you know, I, I like uh, them to be able to run the ball effectively because that's a very good offensive line. And the Patriots knew this coming in. That's why we saw them, you know, all these signings last week. They were trying to beef up their front seven with some of these big bodies. They picked up Akeem Hicks. You know, they signed Kyrie Thornton off the practice squad, and then they brought in Bostic. But to the second part of your question, I don't see Gerard Mayo getting a, a bigger role this week. I just don't. Uh, you know, we read before the Jacksonville game that Dante Hightower's shoulder was acting up. And, you know, they were way ahead. And I would have figured with the bye week coming, they would have sat him down and rested him. Well, they didn't. Mayo only played, again, a goal line and a couple of, uh, you know, base looks. But he didn't play much. Uh, I don't know what's there. Uh, I, I think he's lost a step, and they, they, they recognize that. Okay, very good, Steve. Right back to you. Let's now talk about the Patriots' defense versus the Cowboys' offense in the passing game. Who do you give the advantage to here? I give it to New England. I, I know the, the secondary still has some questions, and Dallas still has some decent weapons. But, you know, when you look at these guys, uh, you know, uh, and uh, they're missing Des Bryant. Um, they're missing Tony Romo. And uh, now Dunbar went down. And Dunbar, they used him in a very similar way that the Patriots used Deion Lewis. You know, he was that kind of scat back, that, that guy who can come out of the backfield and really make things happen. I think they're, they're really going to miss him going forward. You know, Jason Witten is still there. And if you heard Matt Chatham yesterday, you know, age is starting to catch up with him. He's still a sticks mover. You have to be wary of him all the time. Uh, you know, he'll move the sticks, but he's he's not that deep-seam threat that he used to be. You know, the agent, I think Matt said he has two bum ankles are starting to slow him down a little bit. Um, that being said, they still have some other guys that you have to be wary of, but I like the Patriots in this matchup. 
I think they're going to throw some different looks at Brandon Whedon and try to force him into making a mistake. And I think, you know, his uh, his uh, his track record will will prove that out that he will make that mistake. Okay, very good, Steve. So you give the edge to the Patriots. How about you, Derek? Yeah, I I also give uh, a slight edge to the Patriots. I I do think that um, I'll be curious to see how Belichick decides to mix it up and his coverages and throw some different looks at Whedon. Now, look, you have his tape off of Cleveland to go off of, but that's not much. This is a new team, new situation, different players around it. Um, Now you have some game film on him, what his tendencies are, um, you know, what they've been trying to do on offense. And I think that you're able to go ahead and have, uh, you know, the, the, the pink stripes magician Ernie Adams, uh, you know, up and probably dissecting everything. And I think Belichick will, uh, and Matt Patricia will be able to throw up a, a couple of designs that probably make it a little bit more difficult for him to have some success. Um, I do think that the Patriots defense has given up some yards, no question. At the same time, I would say uh, I would say that you have some kind of some streaky targets in Dallas um, outside of um, uh, you know outside of this Brown who obviously isn't playing and outside of Jason Witten it just you know Cole Beasley kind of appears in and out Terrence Williams is kind of hit or miss I certainly think they have to watch for him over the top um, I give a slight edge to the Patriots but it's pretty close. Okay, very good, Derek. All right, right back to you. Just for time's sake, we got to speed things up a little bit. So who has the advantage in these two matchups, the Patriots offense versus the Cowboys defense in the running game? And then after that, share your thoughts on the passing game. Um, you know what? I, I'm going to – I'll give the Patriots the – I'm going to give the Patriots the edge in both. Um, I, I do think that the running game will be interesting to watch. I think you saw specifically last week Mark Ingram and C.J. Spiller have some success in different ways. Um, I think the Patriots will continue to use Deion Lewis as their primary running back um, I, with with Blunt also getting, I guess, you know, the 1D set of carries. I think they like the way Deion Lewis has played and what he what element he brings to the offense. I think you're going to be able to see that he will be a big part of the game plan, whether it's you know, just doing kind of check downs and getting those, uh, you know, kind of spreading out um, that, that Cowboys front seven that I think really struggled with running backs um, kind of catching passes out of the backfield. If you just look at, again, that last uh, game-winning play with C.J. Spiller, I think it was a perfect example. Also through the air, um, I also don't see I don't see how uh, the Cowboys cover Rob Gronkowski. I think that's a huge, huge problem for them this week with Gronkowski and Chandler coming into town. Um, I, I mentioned earlier how I think this game could come down to the, Cow- uh, the Cowboys are going to uh, control the clock and run the ball and score touchdowns instead of field goals. I don't really have a lot of confidence in doing that. I also don't have a lot of them, a lot of confidence in them trying to stop the Patriots from scoring touchdowns because I think they will move the ball as they have shown through the first three weeks. And when it does get time to that red zone, I do think they're going to struggle to cover uh, both those uh, both those twin tight ends the Patriots have. Okay, very good there, Derek. Steve, over to you. Who has the advantage? with the Patriots' offense versus the Cowboys' defense in the running game and also the passing game? Yeah, like Derek said, I'm going to give them the edge in both uh, because I think that we've seen when the Patriots start throwing the ball effectively, and they have been all season, uh, that starts to soften up the, the defense and it starts opening up holes for your running game. 
you can catch them leaning backwards a little bit in their, you know, drops, and you have a couple of quick hitters with Dion Lewis. And then, you know, if you get up on a lead, then you start asserting your will and you, you start hitting them with LeGarrette Blunt. I think they'll be able to do that again. And, you know, it was an interesting conversation we had last night with Mac Engel from, uh, you know, he's a Cowboys beat writer. And he spoke with Brian Billick, uh, former Ravens head coach, and he was like, how do you stop Rob Gronkowski? And he goes, well, it's, you can stop Gronkowski, but the price you're going to have to pay to do so uh, is not going to be acceptable because if you're going to put that many guys, you can stop him, but then you're going to leave the guys wide open and you're going to get toasted everywhere else. So, you know, I think they're going to put, they're going to try Orlando McClain since he's back. You know, he's a really athletic big guy. I think they're going to try it with him, but I, I, I honestly, I don't think anyone can truly stop him. They might be able to slow him down, but then it leaves other options open. And I think in the passing game, you know, uh, their pass rush will be better with Hardy, you know, uh, back in the mix. And, uh, but, you know, I, I watched the Saints game and, and Drew Brees, you know, he was eating them up with the short passes. And I think the Patriots uh, offense is better than the Saints right now. You know, with Gronkowski and Julian Edelman, I, I, I see Tom Brady having a big advantage in the passing game because uh, they're going to get the ball out quickly. We've seen that, and I don't think they can jam them enough at the line of scrimmage to, to slow them up. Okay. Well, there's no Very question the Patriots have a stronger offense in the Saints than the Saints, that's for sure. <laughs> sure. All right, Derek, since you chimed in, give me your three keys to victory for the Patriots. Well, the, fir- the first key will be, uh, you know, for the Patriots will just be make, you know, tr- trying to contain the run game. Don't let the Cowboys control the line of scrimmage. And I think this is a – you can't let them control the line of scrimmage because if they can get that run going, I think that's how they pave their way uh, to go ahead and squeak out the upset. That's going to be a big one. It's not an easy task for sure, but that's going to be that's going to be another one. Um, I think the, the, sec- the, second key will, uh, the second key for the Patriots – it's just gonna. I think you're just gonna have to uh, take advantage of the over aggressiveness of the front seven. I do think that um, Greg Hardy is gonna come out, quote unquote, guns with blazing, as he put it. And I do think that uh, you have a couple of very aggressive players in that front seven, and they are gonna try to get after Tom Brady. And I think that you can use that over aggression for success, like using Deion Lewis in the flat for checkdowns and and things like that. I uh, I, I believe that uh, you know utilizing them in that way could certainly, uh, you know, help help you out in the long run, no question. The third key is, uh, I don't know exactly how to put it, but I guess i just be kind of staying patient, and I think you have to wait. You have to kind of ride this game out. I A lot of people are predicting a blowout, including some of the Dallas people I've talked to. Um, a lot of people expect the Patriots to win this easily going away. Well, I do think it's easy, an easier game uh, with the injuries the Cowboys have suffered. I'm not expecting a really a really big blowout game. I think this could, they could give you some problems. Um, although the Cowboys haven't played great at home, so we'll find out. But I think you have to play a full 60 minutes of football the past two weeks with with Romo out. That so they've shown that they are going to fight throughout the game, and that the other team had to make plays all the way down to the wire in order to win that game. Um, well, I think the Patriots are a notch above their competition. Uh, I do think that they're going to have to play a full 60 minutes in order to win this one. Okay, very good there, Derek. Great keys to victory. Steve, to you? Yeah, for mine, 
on offense, pedal to the metal. I think you you come right after them the way you've been coming after everybody else. Make them try to stop you. I, I think play fast. You know, uh, those short passes, keep the, the sticks moving. I think if they do that, they're going to be successful on offense. Uh, you know, the Cowboys are beat up. They're, they're missing their, uh, in, in addition to everybody else, they're missing their best cornerback, Orlando Skandrick. You know, he's out for the year. I, th- I think you you just pressure them by coming after them and you play really fast and you'll take the crowd out of it. On defense, I think, you know, I, I think you have to be aggressive as well. I think Brandon Whedon is not, you know, he's not Tony Romo. He can move around a little bit, but I, I think, you know, Much you different. have to obviously stop the run, but you have to come after him and force him into making mistakes. And I, I think they need to do that. And third, win special teams. We saw the last couple of weeks, how good the Patriots special teams are and how weak other teams are, I think that's the big. That's going to be a big key this week. Okay, very good, Steve. All right, guys, before we predict the Patriots, I have five games that guys, I want you to predict, but we got to do it in rapid fire because we only have four minutes. So, Derek, quickly, Colts or Texans, who do you have? Uh, I'm taking I'm taking the Colts, but I don't feel great about it. You have to wonder where Andrew Luck's shoulder is right now. Okay. Steve, Colts or Texans? I'm taking Texans upset at home on a short week. Okay, very good. That's Thursday night. All right, Steve, right back to you. Seahawks or Bengals? Who do you got? Seahawks. Seahawks. <laughs> no explanation. That's all you need to say. That's all you need to say. Derek? I'm taking the Seahawks. I'm taking the Seahawks also because they're contenders. I'm not sure I'm ready to put the Bengals are in there yet, but this will be a big win if Cincinnati can pull it off. Okay. Right back to you, Derek. Bills or Titans? Who do you got? Um, I'm still I'm rolling with the, I'm rolling with the Bills, but I want to see how I want to see if Rex can right this ship or he's going to sink with this one also. <laughs> okay, Steve. I, I'm taking the Bills as well. Okay. All right, Steve. Right back to you. Rams at Packers. Who do you got? Uh, I like the Packers in this one at home. Okay, Derek. I'm taking the I'm taking the Packers, but I do think that Todd Gurley, if he can run like he did last week, you know that could give uh, the Packers soft you know run defense some some problems. I I think the Packers are still vulnerable there, like they've been the past couple of years. Okay, very good. Final game before we predict the Patriots game: Broncos or Raiders? Who do you got, Derek? Uh, I'm taking the Broncos. They're the best team in the AFC uh, behind the Patriots. Okay, Steve. Yeah, I like the Broncos defense to. Uh, Bring Derek Carr back to earth a little bit. He's played well, though. I got, I got to give Derek Carr. He has played well. The Raiders. Have played he has. Well. Okay, Derek, I'm going to go to you first. Give me your prediction for the Patriots game. You know, I was thinking about uh, you know what score this would be. I went back to my season preview to where I kind of thought this would be a couple of weeks ago, and I liked where I had it. I had uh, Patriots 31, Cowboys 20. Uh, I, I don't think I think it's going to be a, a pretty good win for the Pats, but. I still think that the Cowboys are going to show some fight. Um, I think there's still talent on that team, but they are going to be shorthanded. I think the Patriots are going to be well-rested. Uh, my one concern is if there's any kind of rust coming off that bye week, but I hope they don't broke, uh, you know, don't broke or don't change anything that wasn't broke because uh, they were rolling beforehand. So we'll see if they can get it going in Dallas. And ultimately, I think it comes down to the Patriots scoring touchdowns and Dallas settling for field goals. Okay, very good. Steve, we only got 90 seconds left, so give me your prediction. Real quick, I got them 31-21. I, 
Uh, I wrote about this. It, it, it'll be out tomorrow in my keys to the game. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be closer than people are giving them uh, credit for blowing them out. I don't think it's going to be. I think Dallas is going to hang around. They're still in first place in their division. They're going to play hard. I think it's a closer game. Okay. And uh, I agree with you. I have a similar score. I'm going to say 34-21. You know, again, uh, I think the Patriots will pull away in the end, but I think it's going to be closer than many people think. All right. All right, guys, great show, as always. You guys really brought it today. It was fun doing it with you. Derek, you're as awesome as always. Uh, Please do follow Derek at Patriots Haven. Please follow Steve at Steve B7SFG. I can't believe I remember that now, Steve, on Twitter. (laughs) It's only been five years. (laughs) It's always been five years, exactly. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Patriots 4th and 2 for Steve and Derek. I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you, as always, for listening. Take care, guys. Bye.